Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. It is winter and it's cold, or at the very least it's getting colder. You know what feels great at this time of the year? Being in a sauna. Our relationship with saunas appears to be getting steamier. TikTok and Instagram are full of sauna champions who believe that sitting in a sweltering room is the secret to living longer and living better. This morning, we are going to hear about both, but first, we are going for a sauna. And to do that, we need some wood for the fire. Valtteri Rantala is chopping wood for his business, the Finnish sauna. It started in 2019 as a mobile sauna on a trailer. He towed it from beaches to yards to even back alleys across Vancouver. He has since expanded the project, but the core of sharing Finnish sauna culture has stayed the same. The heat has a slightly... Not even slightly, but it has a humbling, softening, and present awakening uh, characters to it. So, so it cultivates a space where you wanna share and listen and uh, and be uh, in whatever comes up. So I love sauna for storytelling, for listening stories, for for singing, or just being in, in silence and listening the fire crackle and, and see what comes up. In Finnish, we call it lolu. I think it's very similar in, in Estonian, and and we call that the, the lolu is a good way to put your intentions, ask from the, ask for the spirits of lolu for kind of like healing, soothing, or whatever you want to let go. So it is kind of a, a good way to set intentions and make it into a, a spiritual um, health or whatever awakening, meaningful experience for for yourself. The memories are coming back now because I go back home and I have uh, eight nieces and nephews there, which are from two months to eleven years. So you can see the whole, um, the, all the chapters and the different steps in the sauna life when they first start in a little top in the floor, when they become a bit more like four or five. You start like going with the bottom bench, five six. You go on the, you try the top bench, and I think my memories would be yeah somewhere around four or five. With, with mom and dad and just like just you know going for it and being like overwhelmed and then rolling in the snow banks after and, and we would make a hole in the in the lake in the with the ice which would be like three feet thick and then have little stairs to go down the down the ice and have cold dips and 
some of the best saunas that you go in in Finland and, and Northern Europe can be 100, 150 years old. When you go to into a hundred-year-old sauna, you know that how much life it has it has seen, and how many sweats, how many stories. So there is a depth to the space that is different than a, than a brand new, shinier sauna. So I would say sauna is like wine; it will just get better over time as long as you properly maintain it. Now. Finland shouldn't get all the credit here. Estonia also has a vibrant sauna culture. Anna Hintz is an Estonian filmmaker. Her new documentary is called Smoke Sauna Sisterhood. Lets us into the intimate conversations of women uh, over several years in a smoke sauna. Her film is Estonia's nominee for the upcoming Academy Awards. Anna Hintz, hello. Hello. (laughs) I have a friend, a colleague, who is Estonian, and she says there's a sign near her sauna that says a sauna is a poor man's doctor. Um, (laughs) What does the sauna broadly mean to Estonian culture? What's its place in Estonian culture? It is a sacred place, especially smoke sauna. Smoke sauna is like old type of sauna that has no chimney and um, it dates back to pre-Christian times. Uh, when people go to church, we go to smoke sauna and we take off our clothes, uh, not just physical clothes, but also emotional clothes. And we enter there into kind of cosmic womb where you can share absolutely everything. And uh, it is... Um, I can say the best doctor, like best mental and physical doctor Mm. and uh, something that is so deeply in our um, culture or like people need that. Like you need, you get the sauna need. When you haven't been to sauna or you haven't been to smoke sauna, you get this kind of itching in your body. At least I get. <laughs> can you ex- can you explain how that works? You said there's no chimney. Yes. So the smoke just comes back into the room or what happens? Uh, so there is no chimney. It means that you have to heat it beforehand. You have to take time, uh, six to eight hours, depending on the temperature of what is outside. And then uh, you heat it and then you let it stay for some time and then you let the smoke out and then you enter. So And you cannot be inside smoke sauna and put fire or hear the fire because then smoke would come and you would die, basically. Mm. So it works uh, um, It works uh, differently. And uh, really, you have to take time to be in smoke sauna. You cannot do it in rush. Um, and uh, because there is no chimney, uh, the walls are dark and uh, uh, it's this kind of tardy smell. And really, it has no electricity and you enter into this darkness that has only one or two, maximum two small windows and uh, natural light or candlelight. And you feel like you're inside kind of timeless space. And um, and it's really, it's, it's also a place where you can meet your ancestors. Like we have special time in late autumn when we believe our ancestors as spirits come to see us and then we make special smoke sauna for them mm. and uh, there is this yeah this smell and this uh, this um, different type of laily different type of this um, um, heat that comes from smoke sauna and it stays a long time warm and women used to give birth in uh, smoke saunas also wash the dead and um, heal for centuries so it's significantly uh, special uh, for women all the, all the way through life, as you said, from, from birth yes. to death. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you give birth there and then uh, later your body is being washed there with cold water uh, before a funeral. 
What is that heat? You said it's a different kind of heat. What does that heat feel like when you're in that space? Mm. Uh, it feels, uh, it, it really goes deep into your body and cells. And it is this kind of heat where that at the same time, it's not like you're not uh, feeling exhausted because sometimes saunas can be very sharp. It's not sharp. It's like it gets to your bones, but at the same time, it, it is like embrace, you know, it's and um, and how it is, uh, how it functions is that with the heat, you start to sweat and then um, with time, deeper, deeper layers of physical dirt start to come up to the surface, but also emotional dirt starts to come up to the surface and uh, then you let it out. And uh, I've never experienced this kind of listening to each other like smoke sauna, like uh, every story every experience has the birthright there and you just hear each other out mm. it's this kind of safety you feel very safe there and uh, very like protected and and embraced and what is nice is that that warmth comes with you also outside to this world that is you know as we know a lot of challenges and 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 all, not nice things also in the world, but then you have that that heat that stays with you. When were That's you when were you first introduced to this? When when did you? I mean, as as as, as I said, mm. like it goes right through life. But what what's your earliest memory of that? Yeah, you start to go to smoke sauna already when you're in the mother's womb. But a um, very significant moment that I remember is when I was eleven, and my grandfather had just died, and his body was uh, in the house. And uh, we went to smoke sauna before funeral. Uh, one day before funeral, it was my granny, my aunt, my niece. And their granny revealed that grandfather had actually cheated on her, not just once, but several times. Mm. And uh, she released like all the emotions connected with that. And uh, there was, I remember, frustration and anger, but also a lot of shame. And, you know, like how difficult it was, Soviet uh, time and four kids. And she released all that. Also like, oh, you know like really vocally releasing all the emotions. And one smoke sauna session lasts several hours. So you're there, you go out, you come back, you're there. And once we put clothes on and we fully went out, I felt that granny had made peace with grandfather. Wow. So that next day we could bury grandfather in peace. And this was the time when like next layer or next door of smoke sauna opened to me. And I realized that, okay, on this earth, there is a safe space where absolutely all your emotions, all your experiences can be shared, can be heard. And when we give voice to our story and when we give space to other stories, there is like huge, huge healing power in that. Uh, so, and also now I think it, this was the time when I was like initiated to the sisterhood, to these kind of sharings. So I was 11 at that time. This is the thing that you see through it. I mean, your film is beautiful. Um, and that's, that's the you. kind of emotion and the, the, the scenes that we see throughout the film where there are women who are talking about cancer and miscarriage and sexuality and violence. And these are hard things to talk about, but they're, they're also laughing and there's moments of joy. And the, I mean, it sounds obvious, but you're in the sauna and you don't have your clothes on. You're naked, but you're not just naked physically, if you know what I mean. There's something else that, that, mm -hmm. that, that is brought up, as you said, in, in that space. How do you, how, how, what do you think is going on that, that those conversations are different than outside of that space? Mm. 
there is the permission to um, for everyone to be totally vulnerable. And uh, there is this kind of, um, I mean, many things. First of all, there is the darkness, there is the heat, but there is also the centuries-long tradition that gives you that permission. Um, and, you know, I've thought about that when I started to make the film that I made uh, seven years I thought that the most important is the courage to share the uncomfortable. And by uncomfortable, I mean all these experiences and, you know, that we are usually hiding in, outside in the world or, you know, we're ashamed to talk about. But there you have that permission. Um, but then when I made the film, I realized that uh, maybe the most important is the courage to hear the uncomfortable. Mm. We are looking for connection, but we are often thinking that there should be like an easy way or like, okay, can we connect without being vulnerable? And I'm like, no, there is no other way. It is through that vulnerability. And you learn uh, to be okay with that. You learn to be okay with the uncomfortable. You learn how to be okay with that vulnerable. And you, uh, after that, you uh, start to feel more and more alive. And my granny said that, you know, when we have traumas, then they are like frozen water inside us. But um, And sometimes we can find ourselves in deep, dark winter, just ice fields. But it's so important to remember that that ice has the power to flow again. We just need warmth and safety, and then we can melt our traumas. So with that thought, I say a lot of love to everyone. Your granny was right. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you, Anna. Thank you. Anna Hintz's film, Smoke, Sauna, Sisterhood, will be playing in Toronto at the Ted Rogers Hot Talk Cinema beginning on the 26th of January. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart. And for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Turns out that saunas aren't just culturally important. Researchers are finding evidence that they can help both your heart and your mind. Dr. Peter Atia is a Toronto-born medical doctor who specializes in lengthening lifespan. His latest book is Outlive, The Science and Art of Longevity. He's in Austin, Texas. Dr. Atia, good morning. Yeah, thank you. Are you a sauna person? I am, yes, very much so. Tell me about that, because that changed, right? You used to, I remember reading somewhere that you used to believe that, you know, they, they, they felt great, but that was kind of it. What did you learn that led you to become, as I say, a sauna person? Maybe about 10 years ago, my view in looking at the literature was now this was, there were a lot of what were called healthy user biases. So people of higher socioeconomic status, people who were healthier tended to use sauna. Mm. But I repeated the analysis, or I should be more clear. I had my team repeat the analysis in 2020, uh, late 2019, and, and actually came to a different conclusion based on the strength of the data that, in fact, there, there, there probably was causality there. And if that's the case, then it would imply that using sauna, at least within the parameters that the research suggested, might actually reduce the, the risk of chronic disease. Tell me more about that and what you learned and, and what we know about the actual, the health benefits of using a sauna from, from medical literature, from research that's been done. Well, I think, you know, it's always easiest to stop with the findings. And then what's a little harder to parse out sometimes is the why. But the findings would suggest 
an unambiguous association between sauna use at about the following frequency. So in, in, you know, in individuals using sauna at least four times a week, at least 20 minutes per session at at least 179 to 180 degrees Fahrenheit. And I apologize that my Canadianness has, <laughs> I've forgotten what that is in Celsius, but I'm guessing it's about 80 degrees Celsius, maybe, maybe, you know, plus or minus. Um, but so we're obviously talking about a very hot sauna here, uh, at least 20 minutes, at least four times a week. And if an individual does that, the association is clear that there is, you know, on the order of a 30% reduction in the risk of cardiovascular disease and on the order of a 60% reduction in Alzheimer's disease. So then the next order question is, well, okay, um, what would be the mechanism for that if we were to believe that there's causality there? And and I think here it gets a little harder out, um, but, but I would actually attribute three benefits, two of which are kind of technical, but one of which I think is interesting and not necessarily as technical. So, so on the technical level, I think we're seeing uh, an improvement in cardiovascular function. So there's this concept called hormesis or stress where little bits of stress are very beneficial when we respond to them and recover from them. So the obvious example of this is exercise, right? Every Everything you do while you're exercising is actually stressful to the body, right? Your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up. None of those things would be good for long periods of time, but it's when your body responds and recovers from those things that good things happen. Similarly, when you're in a sauna, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, uh, your body's working very hard to rid itself of the extra heat. And that hormetic stress, because it's just given in small doses, produces a positive effect during the recovery. The other thing that seems unique to sauna is something called heat shock proteins, which as their name suggests, are proteins that are produced when the body's under a lot of heat. And those heat shock protein, proteins you can think of as little sort of I don't know, garbage disposal cleaning crews that walk around the body cleaning up cellular debris, cells that are potentially, you know, on the down that are maybe going to become cancerous or things of that nature. But I, but I actually want to emphasize a third benefit to sauna that I wouldn't have fully appreciated until I started becoming a regular user, mm. which is um, sort of the pro-social effects of sauna, right? So you're it's, it's really a wonderful time to be completely detached from your electronics, you know, a TV, your phone, the stresses of life. And you're often doing it with people you enjoy being with. So for me, that means my wife. My wife and I are always in the sauna together. And it's a great time for us to talk. And it, it, we just tend to do it in the evening. So it's kind of part of the wind down ritual to produce a far better night of sleep. And I don't, I don't think you can discount the health benefits of that. You mentioned earlier that there was the possibility of minimizing risk of Alzheimer's. What more do we know about that? Well, again, at this point, it is just a very, very strong association. But again, um, it, you know, I don't think it's an accident that the two chronic diseases that seem to have an improvement of risk are cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's disease, because those two diseases, more than any two chronic diseases, uh, tend to travel together. And the old adage that what's good for the heart is good for the brain uh, is almost universally true. And so I think what's happening is that the same factors that are improving circulation, uh, reducing inflammation, uh, you know, utilizing these heat shock proteins as we talked about, they're having all of these favorable effects on the heart. And I think we're also seeing them uh, have the same effects on the brain. And, and of course, Alzheimer's disease is a pretty complex disease. There's many paths to get there. Um, 
you know, there are some that seem a little bit more genetically predetermined. There are some that seem a little more uh, tied to the same types of risks of, of, of cardiovascular disease. And it, it might be that we're seeing just a subset of that disease respond favorably here. It's interesting in talking to you about this at a time when we're seeing stats that show that life expectancy in countries like Canada and the United States is trending downward in recent years. What do you make of that? Why is that happening? Well, I can't speak to Canada because I, I don't, I'm not as familiar with the stats, but I can speak to the United States and it wouldn't surprise me if they're very similar. Mm. Um, in the United States, uh, you're, you're absolutely correct. The past four years have seen a reduction in lifespan. There's two things going on there. One, which is transient. So it, you, you have to sort of strip out the COVID deaths from that because that was obviously seen across the globe. Um, but even when you strip out deaths from COVID, the U.S. is still on a decline of life expectancy. And it's actually being driven by what we would call deaths of despair. So these are deaths attributed to alcohol use, um, accidental uh, overdose, and suicides. And in particular, it's the former two that are driving it the most. So alcohol-related deaths and accidental overdose is more than uh, suicide or deliberate uh, self-death. And so, um, again, we can speak to what that's about and what might be at the root of that. Is it a crisis of meaning, uh, despair, other factors, isolation? I think there's probably a lot of things that factor into that, but it is worth noting that that trend began before COVID. So something was going on even pre-COVID and potentially COVID exacerbated that, certainly in terms of uh, isolation it did. In the face of that, your book, Outlive, has become a sensation. What do you think people are looking for? Yeah, that's a great question. I, 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 I suspect that one of the reasons the book has been as successful as it's been, which ha has actually been a very you know, big surprise, but I think it's actually been an equal emphasis on health span to lifespan. So I think, it, you know, people might look at the title of the book and say, well, you know, this is a book about living longer, you know, okay, that's interesting, but who cares? But really, I think the book is more about living better. Um, and if you really focus on how to live better, so how to be more physically robust, how to be able to play with your grandkids later in life, how to be able to stay cognitively sharp, and 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 perhaps most importantly, how to be um, emotionally healthy, um, then you're going to live a better life full stop. And by the way, as a bonus, you're probably going to live five or seven years longer along the way. But I think it's this focus on health span where you get some of the lifespan benefits for free that might be what's resonating with people. Because I don't think anybody out there in a sane state of mind would say, yeah, I'd like to live longer and prolong suffering, right? Nobody's really interested in lifespan without health span. What is a better way to, to, to think about who we want to be and what we want to be? As, as the new year starts? I think one of the things to do is not tether it to the new year per se. Um, I, I find it very difficult when I'm working with my patients to make or to help them you know, or guide them into making sustainable behavioral changes. Um, you know, the good news is that behavioral changes, whether it be you know, exercise probably more than anything else, but certainly nutrition, sleep, et cetera, um, these things have a much greater impact on both the length and quality of your life than people realize. They're far more potent tools than, than the suite of pharmacopoeia that, that we learn about in medical school. Um, that's the good news. The bad news is they're actually harder to comply with, right? It's, you know, it's hard enough for most people to just take their pill for blood pressure. There's about 60% compliance in something as simple as that. When it comes to these behavior changes, it's obviously much less. But to me, the first step begins with a very clear understanding of your goals. Um, and I think they can't be abstract, right? It can't be, 
yeah, I want to be healthy or I want to live longer. It has to be, no, picture exactly what you want to be doing in that last decade of your life, something I write about and call the marginal decade. Mm -hmm. And if, if you can picture what you want to happen in the marginal decade, who do you want to be with? What do you want to be doing? And, and I mean that very specifically, right? Like, do you want to be able to sit on the floor with children? Do you want to be able to stand up on your own? Do you want to be able to walk up a flight of stairs carrying a bag of groceries? If you can go through that exercise very tangibly, then all of a sudden the exercise you have to do 40 years sooner becomes far less abstract because it's in service of a very specific goal. I'm really glad to talk to you about this. Dr. Atia, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Dr. Peter Atia's latest book is Outlive the Science and Art of Longevity. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.